You can see my award-winning climate comedy show spoilers at a festival near you, provided you live near or are going to McCuncliffe or Wells Comedy Festivals. More dates added soon near you, conceivably, who knows what might happen. And if you are at Mac, come and see ComCom Redacted live at 4pm on the Saturday. Go to stuartgoldsmith.com and click the very attractive banner image to find out more. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. This is a podcast from ComediansComedian.com. This is the Comedians Comedian Podcast. Hello and welcome to the show. I'm Stuart Goldsmith and I'm very pleased and proud to be bringing you this conversation with Barry Crimmins, recorded a few weeks ago when he was performing at the Leicester Square Theatre. Thank you to the Leicester Square Theatre for giving us a little bit of space in which to record during the day. Um, if you haven't seen the Bobcat Goldthwaite-directed uh, Netflix documentary Call Me Lucky about Barry's life, I cannot recommend it enough. Not only is it an incredibly painful story about uh, an aspect of Barry's life, which we'll talk uh, more about in this interview, um, it's also a fascinating historical document. Historical is probably the wrong word, but it's uh, to see people, clips of Barry's stand-up from the 80s, uh, is really astonishing and to follow the journey of this this man through an extraordinary life uh, i think it's a wonderful piece of filmmaking i highly recommend it uh, and i'm also pleased to tell you that uh, barry's special which he refers to at the end of this episode uh, is called whatever threatens you and it has just last week been released by louis ck so i'll include a link in the download notes for this show uh, or you can go to louisck.net i think is his website uh, and buy whatever threatens you and listen to barry uh, in the flesh doing uh, his m far more contemporary material. Also, do absolutely do not miss Call Me Lucky. This is quite a, a difficult conversation, um, not because Barry is anything less than incredibly warm and kind, um, but we touch upon some very difficult topics. Now, I know the idea of trigger warnings is uh, uh, much derided, I think wrongly. I think a trigger warning is all about context. I think if you're going to talk about something that could upset people that you don't normally talk about, you might have the kindness to point it out beforehand. Uh, Barry was sexually abused as a child, and we talk about the fallout from that in his life. Uh, so if that upsets you, please proceed with caution. Uh, I think this is a really worthwhile interview, and uh, and I hope it sheds some light not just on uh, Barry's really extraordinary life, but also on uh, some uh, aspects of political comedy and uh, the Boston comedy scene in the 80s that, that Barry kick-started and helped to revolutionise comedy through America. So there's a, a lots of other stuff. It's not all uh, terrible, difficult material, um, but just to warn you, there is some discussion of that. This is Barry Crimmins. <laughs> Very unusually for me, I haven't seen your act live. I wasn't able right. to get to the show last night, right. and I normally do a ton of research. 
I've seen right. the film. We'll talk about the film. Right. I've seen some of your clips from the 80s. Mm-hmm. And I've read your blog posts. Yeah. It was a long time ago. Mm-hmm. So just tell me, you weren't happy with the show last night. No, I just did you know, I mean, some nights you just don't dig in and get, I mean, you know, I'm sure the audience thought it was okay or fine, but uh, I just, I know I'm usually better than that. And I just, I just couldn't, uh, just couldn't get a toehold as far as I was concerned. Maybe it made me work harder and maybe it was okay, you know, but that's all. It's not anybody else's problem, just mine. Miserable old man's problem. Do you feel like a miserable old man? Yes, I'm official. I went. I officially. I yeah, yeah. I'm official miserable old man. It's just like, uh, you know, I don't no, care you are. But you're not at all. You're not at all. Uh, I find you an incredibly warm presence. Oh uh, well, yeah. No, I am. But I mean, about certain things, it's just like it, until you cross a certain line with me, then it's just like, what? I mean, this guy, he was making. He was like. Oh, I wear, you know, he's making, he's got dad shoes on. And then he, I mean, uh, but then he starts tweeting nasty stuff about me after he, that's why I write, hate writing profiles, you know, and then he, he kind of used, and then he goes, but he's an abuse survivor, so I couldn't go after him. And that's like some passive aggressive bullshit as far as I, I don't think I've ever hidden behind that. You know, and I'm not some person who sets himself up as this frail person because he survived rapes as a child. And by the way, you know, I'm a rape survivor in case you, you know. Twain, this other writer, said used the right word, not his second cousin. Yeah. You know, abuse, it's the second cousin there. Rape would be, you know, right in the family. Sure. Mm-hmm. So what happened with the show? Well, it's great to say hi to everybody. <laughs> Listen, you know, we don't need to put any kind of sugar coating on, no, on any of no, this. No, What's the sweet stuff in England? Uh, like the sugar replacement stuff? Yeah, well, no, 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 no. The actual, like, what they, marzipan or something. Marzipan? Is that, do you yeah. think of that as a, uni- as a uh, I, we British thing? I've no idea. Have, we don't have a shitload of marzipan. There's <laughs> <laughs> it, it, an opportunity for some young entrepreneur that's, listening that, to this. That's right. Let's open a marzipan uh, <laughs> shop. Gourmet marzipan. So just to be clear about what's going on at the moment, you, you got a profile in The Guardian, which wasn't a review. Or no, it was, and it was nice enough. It was nice enough, but I mean, it was also just like, what do I think about David Cross? I mean, not David. What do I think about? Uh, you mentioned David Crossman, so I said it by mistake. He's my dear friend. But what, you know, what do I think about John Stewart and these other people? And it's sort of like, oh, well, you know, I wish him well, and I don't know much about him because I don't watch that stuff because I try to keep my palate cleansed. So I'm not really. You know, where it's, you know, I'm not really there. And the guy, you know, and then he's like, and then he later wrote, he thought I was politically ignorant and I'm still doing jokes about the 80s. Well, I wrote relevant jokes in the 80s that I think have become solid historical material now. Mm. And I think some people are expecting to see some of that. And it's certainly not the dominant thing in my act. And also, I talked a lot about trauma, surviving abuse, surviving rape, surviving and and child abuse in general and that kind of got left out of the piece maybe that was too advanced for him you know maybe that's what i'm after now and it's not all about fucking electoral politics all the time can i say fucking yeah obviously i'm good at it (laughs) do you feel held to account by 
journalists or the media. No, I mean, no, I mean, I usually get along with them fine or whatever. This guy just, yeah, I, I don't, I don't. There's a million ways I could estimate the thing. There was this thing that happened. Where I ended up on the show with this guy who turns out had a daughter had alleged he had, uh, you know, uh, sexually assaulted her and. And he wrote another book about a priest and so on. And I just said that was a little dicey, but I certainly wasn't going to get onto it on the air with him because I don't know. You know, I mean, I don't everything has to be confirmed, you know, prove it to me before I'm going to go talk about it in public or assail someone in public about it. But still, I was a little comfortable, uncomfortable. But, you know, he said that's a little dicey. And then he writes the stuff about the guy. But he doesn't say that I feel like I'm in a position of, I, I said, I feel like, I, I mean, if a good writer to me would have said, if, this guy said he feels like he's in a position of responsibility and I just can't, you know, uh, be chicken little about child abuse because everything I've done so far, I think it's been sort of corroborated and, you know, sh you know I mean, I, it's come up pretty solid, even though early on people really didn't want to, a lot of people didn't really want to believe what I was saying. So, you know, I'm very cautious because I really feel like literally the safety of children and the well-being of people who have been through serious things uh, can be affected by that. So that's why I did that. And that, to me, I, you know, if I were writing the story, I might have gotten that part of the response and. Yeah. Anyway, fuck him. What else is going on? <laughs> okay. Well, like, you like they say over to France. Fuck him. Tell me then. It's interesting. You say what else is going on. I'm interested in the aspect of your life as a comic, as a person who produces comic material and yeah. tells it and has done for years. Yeah. And is a, a peace activist and famously, for those who, who haven't done the research before this, and I'll put some in the show notes, but you took AOL to, to the Senate yeah. to force them to admit some culpability, some profiteering from the fact that child pornography well, was Well, yeah, what was going on was they were, it cost three or four dollars an hour, U.S., uh, of course, dollar, U.S. dollars. Um, but uh, I guess there are other dollars. But uh, yeah, AOL took... Uh, I mean, they were charging three or four dollars an hour to be online, and back in those days, there were wood burning modems, you know. So, <laughs> you upload one picture; it took a half an hour, and so these people, hundreds and hundreds of people, had thousand dollar plus a month AOL bills. That's yeah. all, they all talked about it in these chat rooms. Well, I stumbled in there, found out what they were doing, and at first tried to say are you people what's are you crazy and they literally go oh, we've got a first amendment right to and it's like what you know uh as andrew vox the writer famously said you can mug someone and call it performance art but you're not necessarily going to get away with it yeah. um but uh so i just uh, i contacted aol in good faith and they uh, they played it dumb for as long as possible because they were making i think because they were making a lot of money and then eventually uh i ended up testifying in front of the u.s senate judiciary committee about it and the interesting thing was when i went in, well when the when the aol rep testified 
his testimony was clearly in response to mine. So someone, they asked me for my testimony in advance. Someone leaked my testimony to this son of a bitch. Now, first up, that didn't matter to me because they didn't have anything. There was nothing in that testimony that I hadn't written to AOL or said to them that they didn't have a good answer for. I mean, they already didn't have good answers. And they weren't. if they came up, good. Should tell me a good answer to that. Fine. But they didn't. So all I had to do was just basically not give him an inch. And, you know, every time he, he came back with their sort of pat answers, I just took him apart. So by the end of the thing, now this cocky lawyer who looks at me like, wow, what's this guy, nightclub comic? Because, yeah, I dealt with a few hecklers. And, <laughs> and uh, uh, by the end of the thing, he's so shell-shocked, he makes the mistake of saying, uh, of saying, uh, of telling the truth. He says, well, we have a strict three strikes and you're out policy yes. Yes. concerning child pornography on AOL. And I, you know, nobody's a bigger baseball fan than me, but uh, it's a one strike offense in any, yeah. any legitimate league. And this is, and so this is in, in the film directed by yeah. Bobcat Goldthwait, yeah. yeah. Call Me Lucky. It was available on Netflix. Which yeah, I've he seen. didn't direct it's, the Senate hearing. Sure. <laughs> that would be a turnout. <laughs> um, but, this was at a time where we've got to understand like the context historically you're explaining what the internet is to the oh, yeah. Senate, oh, to the oh, yeah. Judiciary oh, yeah. they're Committee they're all bragging about being Luddites yeah. you know? they're all like oh I'm what you would call computer illiterate well you know generally I you know in, in, you know, the, in the highest legislative body in the United States you would like to not have five people in a row bragging about illiteracy, but okay, particularly to hear illiteracy about what we're here. You know, maybe you should have done some studying before you got here. Rather, oh, I'm just going to go in and do the whole self-deprecating. I'm illiterate about this stuff. But so we had to bring them up to speed, but we did. In the story of your life, these disparate elements of mm -hmm. starting a comedy club in Boston that went on to in invigorate right. the circuit in Boston mm -hmm. and your own and in the United States and the United States, States. Yeah. and your own uh, your own very political comedy your activism the AOL situation and all of these kind of with the at one point Amazing throughout that story tours with other artists sure like your own Billy Bragg yes yeah absolutely mm -hmm. I mean that, that is an I had no idea anyone was even doing that yeah. you're on stage with Billy Bragg doing political jokes well kind of I mean, I, the, the, I would do my set earlier and then at the end of the show for the encore with both bands, Michael Franti's band. Uh, oh, Spearhead. Or yeah, yeah. Disposable what, Heroes. It was the Disposable yeah. Heroes, yeah. And, uh, you know, and everybody got some kind of solo and then they brought me out and I would do a joke solo. And I did my greatest hit most nights, which is, if you don't love this country, you want to get out of it. Because I don't want to be victimized by its foreign policy, which is just an answer to the classic jingoistic you know i mean they think there's so many rhetorical questions in the united states they think are, there's no answer to and, and i suppose a lot of places but you know like i say i'm a pacifist and they go you're a pacifist well what would you have done about world war ii i wouldn't have started world war one <laughs> you know it's kind of a sequel you know i don't know about you i can't remember the last time i was that upset about an archduke and by the way, if you ride around in an open touring car with that hat on, you're kind of asking for it. So, so what I wanted to ask was, to, to what extent do you feel the, the narrative of your life has become centered around the, the rapes? And your like, I don't mean I don't mean your personal reaction to those awful events, yeah. but the way in which that kind of is the wind in the sails of 
the you yeah, know the promotion yeah, that's, of the that's, video. That's pretty simple, but I mean, you know, I mean, I'd like to think everybody else at the anti-death squad rally hadn't been raped, you know. So I mean, it certainly informs me and and maybe adds a little uh, a little something to my uh, commitment, but. Um, I'd like to think I would have been an empathetic and decent person who would have stood up for for others uh, had that not happened. I certainly wasn't really paying attention to what happened to me as a child when I started doing a lot of that kind of work. And then when it came around to me having to cut myself a break or not, I'd already sort of tried to cut myself a break for a lot of people in the world that don't really get heard from fairly and they're just sort of dismissed and you know and i and if i could open my heart and 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 speak up for them or whatever i realized i'd be a hypocrite not to do it for myself and unfortunately i you know i didn't i chose not to be a hypocrite and i cut myself to be compassionate towards myself and then and then i sort of did my quote unquote work there and then my real healing came from doing work on behalf of contemporary children and and my and fellow trauma victims and uh you know getting out of my own way i think a lot of what happens with abuse survivors is that they kind of instruct you to stay in your own way you know and to uh expect the rest of the world to be clairvoyant about what happened to you and then when they're not you know like oh the plot goes on well i mean saying that to people who have literally been plotted against is kind of a (laughs) not a good idea so you know, I got I, so that's why I believe you go through things and not around them, and that's certainly mentioned in the movie a few times. You say in in the film, I was born with the ability to tell people things they didn't want to hear yeah. and make them laugh. Yeah, and I want to focus on that uh, that ability because that's that's what I think that's that's the one of the nearest things you have in common with most of my other guests, most most uh-huh. other comedians. Yeah, born with some ability to make people laugh, and in your case. Born with the ability to tell people things they didn't want to hear right. and make them laugh. So does right. that go back to like when did you first discover that? Ability? Well, I mean, probably as a kid, I guess. But I mean, you know, it's content smuggling. Oh, I got that out there, and when everyone laughs, it's sort of this acknowledgement. I mean, it doesn't mean every laugh is the truth is based on the truth. You know, I mean, but truth makes good humor, and so. A lot of times, I mean, the laugh you get is just literally like, wow, someone said that. It makes perfect sense. No one's ever even said that before. And that there's the, you know, not victimized by its foreign policy. I mean, you know, there's, it's it's there. So I'm sorry to have so many American baseball references, but I'm a see the ball, hit the ball guy. I'm not back watching the videotape. And, and when I do, if I take it apart too much, then I... Then I go into a slump, you know, so I just have to kind of trust what I do. And that is put in the work every day, like every show, just about I rewrite. I mean, I put a couple of hours into every I, I, I almost every show put more time into preparing for it than I do doing it. And I still need notes out there or whatever. But that's because it's always somewhat different and somewhat adjusted. And I'm trying to figure out the flow and when to do stuff. When, if you're, I mean, particularly doing topical stuff, if you reveal the wrong thing at the wrong time, you can kill 20 minutes of material later. So you really have to figure out that sequence and so on. And I know I'm not even answering your question. This no, you is, are, you are. This is terrible. <laughs> not so. Tell me then, because well, there's, there's a couple of things that we've touched on there. One of the things is 
the when I've seen your your videos on YouTube from the 80s, which are really, I mean, for me, and yeah. I'm sorry for this, they yeah. are like a historical artifact. Well, of, of course, what comedy was like. Whether it's just seeing the difference between you and the host who's bringing you on, yeah. to get yeah. some sense of how different you were to what was happening in comedy at that time. Mm -hmm. And I noticed one of the things you do very effectively is you kind of combine the jokes. I can't remember who said, maybe it was Pat Oswalt on the, on the documentary. He said that, you know, Barry was out there greasing the audience and then... Oh, Marin. And then, was Marin. Oh, it was Marin. It was Marin. And so the difference between jokes that you have, which are successful jokes, which grease the audience, e.g. Yeah, they get a yeah, laugh yeah. without being about anything real. Right, right. You know? what, what's the difference to you as a comic in, in how you, you know that experience that comics have, that we all have, when you mint a new joke, you create a new thing, you try a new bit and it works. And yeah. You go, yeah, that works. Yeah. What's the difference? Is there a difference when you mint something that works and simply greases the audience or where you mint something that works and makes a point that you've been trying to make politically? Well, and that, you know, first off, if it's a smart, funny joke that's got a little comment in it, then that sort of passes the minimal stuff. I also think it's important to go out and when you're introduced as a comic to go out and establish the fact that, yeah, I'm, a, you know, I'm funny enough to be a comic. You know, I know how to do this. Here's a bunch of jokes, you know, I mean, uh, and then, but the thing is, that's then the subversive part works. You got them laughing, the guards are down, and then the next thing you know, you know, uh, you're talking, you know, about human rights, you know, uh, and uh, uh, just general common decency, whatever. And, and and as the show goes on, I'm going for fewer and fewer laughs and more and more points and when you hit it right you get away with that if you don't you'd sound preachy and awful but you know i mean the thing to do i mean yeah i think you have to believe this part for it to work and that is you show them what's in it for that and what you think is in it for them and thank them for at least considering what you had to say you know and when you do that the ship can stand up in the bottle. Tell me what you mean. Can you be more specific about show them what's in it for them? Well, I, I mean, in a way, I mean, show them what's in it for them without indicting them for being part of the problem because they may or may not be, okay? But you can show them, listen, if you're more tolerant about this, if you're more open about this, if you don't take this personally, if you don't, if you don't respond with this, that's not a reflex they taught you. That's they, they, they've got you flinching there. I mean, a flinch is a reflex, but let's avoid stuff that makes us flinch all the time. Let's learn not to flinch at that. Let's keep our eyes open and look at it and then see it through. And I got stopped at this shocking, scary point, but let's get past that. And, and, and on to something. And, you know, once you have context for someone or something, they, they, it makes a lot more sense. I say, I always say there's sanity at the source. My job is to try to get to the source of things. And that's, and that's a commonality and a kindness for other people. And that even means people in the United States who are in the Tea Party or support Donald Trump or whatever it is. It's a bunch of people that have been sold a bill of goods. I mean, you know, like right now the Trump supporters are sold. I mean, they're, it's basically a census of self-loathing in the United States. You hate yourself? Yes, I do. So does Donald Trump. It's about time we had someone who hated me as much as I do as president of the United States, Donald Trump. He hates you. <laughs> I mean, that's... You know, I mean, it's... <laughs> uh, and, that's, and that's sort of like... 
and when I, if I can do that and get that point across, then it's not just this either or, this in, endless sort of, you know, uh, endless argument that's dogmatic that, that, that results from the U.S. two-party system. Now we've moved on to something else. We're providing some context and s- some understanding. And, and maybe we learn not to take everybody and everything so personally because I think that's – you know, part of growing. If you really, you're not growing up until you learn not to take life personally because it's not based around you. You're just in. You know, it took me a long time to, to get there. And there's some days where I still take things a little too personally. There's, like fucking writers. <laughs> <laughs> there's, that's an extraordinarily compassionate approach, I think. That angle of. You know, we can all think of uh, a million jokes we've heard, of jokes about Trump, jokes about Trump supporters yeah. in the 80s, jokes about Reaganites and, yeah, you know, yeah, that yeah, similar yeah. thing. But for you to... And I to, did a lot of them. Yeah, yeah. But for you to take the angle of it's about self-loathing, yeah. it's kind of an empathic approach to going, yeah. what would it take for someone to vote for Trump? Which right. is miles above. It's a very different approach yeah. to just going, they're dumb, they're racist, you know, they're And, they're and petty, all that stuff. Self-involved. And you can't hate anybody till you hate yourself. So the racism and this, the bigotry and whatever, that all comes from that self-loathing. If you don't hate yourself, it's, gonna be, it's a lot harder to hate other people, or, and particularly in a, you know, in, in, in a blanket fashion. Anyone that fits under that blanket, I hate. You know, set the blanket on fire now. I mean, it's just, if you, if you just take the time to just, I mean, to me, I consider myself sort of an anarchist in the sense, but only in the sense that I'm willing to deal with things on a case-by-case basis. That's what you have to do with people, too. You have to kind of separate them from the pack and f- try to figure out, you know, without being condescending. But there's some people, you know, like, I don't know what happened to them. I just know something happened to them, you know, and I'm not going to take them personally. And I'm going to try to be kind. And it's amazing how quickly you can diffuse people by being nice to them and not letting them, you know, not letting that initial button push work on you, which they've just been trained to do. They're trying to get your, you know, your faulty, you know, default software uh, engaged. And, you know, I mean, the first thing we have to do is sort of uninstall that and then start to see it. No, no, they're reverting back to... And and Trump just speaks... I mean, he's just the obvious example now, but so much stuff, people, they just speak to your self-loathing and, and advertising and what... I mean, you go right down the line, they're just selling you on your insecurity and, and you know, and, and, and how, you know, crappy you feel about yourself. And, and so... And when people say nasty things about other people, they're just... You know, when someone comes after you, they're generally telling you something about yourself. So I'm really worried about that Guardian writer now that I mentioned. <laughs> I do think it's a very compassionate approach. I wonder where that empathy comes from in your life. Is that something that you associate with? A I'd like to think I was born. I'd like, I'd like to think I was born with it. But my, I have a father. I had a father who never passed a stranded motorist in his life. Uh, one time there was a, uh, a family got burned out of their home and the next day he had them over at our house saying, what do you need? And they literally took, you know, our couch and kitchen table and whatever. And, and my, you know, my mother was understandably a little distraught and my father said, well, get me. And, and, you know, and the next week she got all, she got new stuff. Um, and it wasn't like he was real wealthy. He just took the hit and you know, took care of some people. Uh, so I guess he was an influence there. Uh, 
And I don't know. It's just, it's like, it's weird. We're trained not to be kind. But when you start, if you do it, and, or, or just even, we're also trained to like run away from our conscience. But when you use it, you get all this extra credit and stuff. I mean, you know, I mean, all I did was speak up. You know, all I did was say what happened. I didn't, you know, it's not some heroic thing. I said what happened to me as a kid. I said what was happening to some other kids. Uh, you know, people didn't want to believe it. Oh, well, you know, you can talk to the FBI. They've got the photographic evidence of kids getting raped that I collected. But um, it's really not, once you do it, it's sort of hard to stop doing it. And it's kind of dumb to stop doing it because you get out of your own way. And I mean, it's it, life is a shitty place to be if you keep tripping over yourself, you know. What do you mean precisely by getting out of your own way? That's a thing I find myself saying a lot in the context of me trying to be a better comedian. I feel like the the comedian that I am is sort of in there naturally, oh, just, just and I keep getting in my own way. Borrowing, How do you mean borrowing trouble and you know really worrying about? what everybody else thinks about you all the time. I mean, just deal with what you think about yourself. Be in good contact with how you feel about yourself and what you're doing. Act on your conscience and move along. And then it's a, it's a lot less, it's like you're, you're in a much less cluttered place. You know, your life is much easier. It's much easier to work with than just, and, and then when there's something tricky or dicey comes along you're not in a big cluttered place you, now you've got a little clutter to sort out you've got a nice straightaway to to do it in. it's not you're not putting it on another pile of clutter and another pile of but it's a long process and there's you know and it's an ebb and flow and you know you do good sometimes and bad others but you know just uh just stop beating yourself up and you know not taking your even yourself so personally you know i mean it's do the best you can. Be of good conscience and, and 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 try to be as kind as possible. It's not not that fucking complicated, you know. And and try not to be. I don't know. And fortunately, I, I one thing I've always I'm very fortunate about, and that was, you know, I I'm generally completely fine with other comics' success and talent and whatever. Once in a while, they'll do something. Oh, wow, that's really. I should have thought of that. But that's about as bad as it ever gets. The rest of the time, I mean, if they get something, you know, I mean, I came along at a time when it was sort of new and people were breaking through to stuff they hadn't broken through to yet. And I've always been thrilled. I mean, I was thr- you know, like Stephen Wright comes out of Boston, everyone, and there's some people that were really jealous. And I was like, well, what the fuck? He's a great, he's a brilliant comic. And all he's doing is putting us on the map. You know, how can we possibly be upset about that? And, and, and Goldthwaite, well, he does that act. And I was like, well, no, Goldthwaite's brilliant. I know what he, I can kind of tell what he's up to. I don't know. I'm interested to see what he's going to do. Well, now we know. But uh, I just, I just don't. I don't know. I wasn't born with that. I guess. I guess maybe because I played a lot of sports, and it turned me into a kind of a weird, odd form of a American football socialist. You know, <laughs> where I just you know do the best you can, cover for other people if they're not quite as good at moving to one side or another, and maybe they'll cover for you when you know you're not good at something. And it's just, uh, I wish there were more of that in in this business because I just spent a lot of time listening to other people presuming that I have the same petty grievances that they have. 
You, as someone who started the club, the Ding Ho in yeah. Boston, that yeah. revolutionized comedy. Well, it, you know, we paid people and treated them well. It was a crazy yeah. idea. Yeah. <laughs> But you, you ended up, and there's, there's, the documentary touches on this, you must have seen an awful lot of comedy and yeah, you know, been yeah. you know, and that I, relationship. Yeah, and I, got, and I, I do. You get tired. Just the stuff to think it's a free pass or anything. If anybody uses the descriptor comedy, well, it's a comedy, blah, blah, blah. It's just like, and they're saying it in sort of a dildoic tone of voice, and it's just, it makes me cringe so much. I can't be around. Like, comedy, blah, blah, blah. It's like, you know, I mean, it, it's just, you know... I'm just not, I've never been that urgent for a laugh. I, I kind of like, I mean, if anything, my style on stage might be sort of waiting it out and like, well, no, there's, it's, there's joke there. I'm just going to sit here, stand here and, and stare at you until you fucking get it. I don't care. You know, and I do that a lot, you know, and it works often and sometimes it doesn't, but you still maintain your ground. You have a presence and you don't lose them because of that. And you don't turn on them because of it either. You don't start calling them stupid. You don't give the audience shit for being a small audience. I love that one. You know, you suck. You're a small audience. It's like, that's who's here, asshole. You know, uh, you know the people that suck are in the empty chairs. So it's just, you know, confidence in a kind. It's like a kind confidence. But it's like, well, that's what I got. Yeah. Did you did you yeah, try, but, and in the booking of the Ding Ho, did you try to particularly promote comics that you thought were saying something worthwhile and were there were there enough comics funny, that you funny and original worthwhile? funny and original there weren't you know i mean I, a lot of comics apologize to me for not doing what i do and it's like i know how hard it is to to do what i do you know it's hard enough for me and i'm supposed to do it i want them to do what they're supposed to do and I don't expect any apologies or any explanations from anybody. Like your act should, you know, be its own explanation and it shouldn't be an apology, you know, uh, or if it is, that should be part of the joke. I, you know, but they, I mean, there are so many genius comics. I see every every time I go out, I see somebody else. In there. And I feel good that we helped sort of clear the path for that. Now it's gotten to the point now where there's, you know, there's 35,000 comics in New York. It's like. It's like a refugee crisis. You know, Syria is opening its borders to <laughs> open micers. But, you know, I mean, it's too bad. I mean, I think what part of what's happening in comedy is its own success is catching up with it. And a lot of people grew up seeing it and said, I want to do that. And you combine that with that sort of era where kids in the United States were raised to play and the, they played in like soccer leagues where you aren't allowed to score. And the result is 35,000 people calling themselves comedians in the year. You can do whatever you want. Maybe not, you know. Are there comedians out there who you think or are appearing to have a similar angle, like a, a quasi-political angle? People like what they can get, you know? There's some comics that are like their own laugh track. I mean, comedy to me is supposed to surprise you. There's some comics, you see them, they, it's like they have one gear in their transmission. They keep doing the same thing, you know, uh, again and again. And, you know, ten minutes into the show, who's surprised by anything anymore? I'm certainly not. But in, more specifically in terms of like a political bent, is there, because you're someone who's, whose politics are kind of deeply held and deeply researched. Yeah. One of the interesting facts on your, on, your, uh, on your website I was going to ask about is um, the links to other kind of American, almost underground political websites. Yeah. You clearly do the reading. Like yeah. you show up, you do the yeah. reading. Yeah. More, you know, less and less, but it's funny. I hurt my eye a couple of years ago. And I literally couldn't read a lot. 
So it was like uh, Burgess Meredith at the end of the Twilight Zone when his glasses get broken when he's yeah. the only person yeah. left on. <laughs> no, you know, I, I lo- and so I, I can't read as much as I used to. And is that, is that well, really? it was it was well, it was weird because uh, now it was like I, I just had so much concentration on the inflow valve that you now now the outflows now it's like oh wait I I know something I'm like the scarecrow saying equations you know all of a sudden like Jesus you know that sounded a little pompous but fuck I think I'm right <laughs> you know, so uh, so that's that's worked all right. I mean you know that's that's what's happened there, but uh, I mean, if you're going to talk about this stuff, you should have, you know, you should have some context and some background in it, and you should understand what the other side has to say. See, I grew up with the other side. I grew up with the right wing stuff, and it has it never changes in the United States. It's the same old flag waving, you know, uh, character assassinating crap. But, how do you how do you sort? the the crap from the credible stuff when you look at kind of you know underground or self-proclaimed underground websites like a different view on the yeah. political i saw one link to uh, i think it's called the black agenda or something similar like that um it's it's from your website and they were talking about um like the lead story on on the on the news feed was about the trump clinton uh uh, debates and how actually they were both they were both saying the same lies and actually someone I think it's Jill Stein I might not be yeah, right. yeah, 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 yeah from the Green Party yeah. she did an alternative kind of version of it where she went on a show and, uh-huh. and answered all of the questions in a credible way right and and yet even in that even in the description of it on this website I was kind of going I mean this is incredibly partisan yeah how do you as a as someone and I'm asking sort of even outside of well comedy, I mean I think a case like being, that I think a case like that you put it out there. You know, I mean, if I put a link there, it's not necessarily an endorsement of it. But certainly someone like Stein or just about anybody, you know, I mean, they, they have to color the United States. I mean, our political spectrum is so it wouldn't it would be even more narrow if it didn't go so far to the right. But it starts center right. Clinton's center right. And they, I mean, in Britain, she'd be considered center right, I think. Mm. And so there's just not that much of a spectrum. So the idea that they ask these questions, they know you're going to color within the lines. You're going to stay in certain areas. You're not going to call out the jingoism of the crap. You're going to kowtow to it and be a, a coward about it. And so you can seem really refreshing and different. I'm sure Stein probably had some answers that were just saying it. But I mean, I mean, more generally, in terms of your research and the stuff yeah. you decide to read and you decide to consider credible, I almost feel like, say, as someone who is naturally like, I don't have political material, I think of myself as a flincher. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll say stuff on stage right. and then go, I'm, I'm not sure they're going for it. I don't know. No, it's, yeah. You know what I mean? And, yeah. I, and I'll, I'll be the first one to bail out. And that's uh-huh. to my shame, you know. Mm-hmm. I feel like... I'm disgusted with yeah. <laughs> right now. I can't even believe I granted this interview. <laughs> Jesus. Um, as someone who is one of those people, I feel like I want, and I'm sure a lot of people uh, want we, something similar. We all feel you are. <laughs> I'm sure other people feel something similar. I've got links. A, I've got links I can... I want a new source I can trust. Do you know what I mean? Do you come across well, that? Well, yeah, yeah like, and that's got to be you. That's my point. you got to be the source you trust. you got to compile everything, put it together, and then make your best call and live with it. And, but be flexible enough to say, I'm not, you know, I'm not right forever, but at this point, I feel pretty good about where we are. And, you know, sometimes, I, I, one thing I don't post a lot of is the conspiracy stuff, among other things, because of my 
position with children and whatever, I can't be chicken little. But the other thing is, if the fix is that far in, why even try? Why even try? You know, uh, they, the way I feel is they do so much stuff right in front of our faces yeah. on videotape that we don't even see. What do you need a conspiracy for? You know, and then, believe me, someone. Well, I'm going to hear from people just for saying that. Much. <laughs> really, <laughs> Building Seven is the new trilateral commission. But anyway, okay, that's a code phrase which I don't that's understand any word of. That's 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 all right. <laughs> you know, that should be subtitles for that. So, when you're on stage doing political material mm-hmm. and it doesn't work, do you? You know, when you try a political joke and it doesn't work because you feel the audience haven't done the reading, then I just try to provide a little more context. Then you just, you didn't get them here, so then you just keep explaining it, you know, and you figure it out. That's why you, that's part of your job is to think on your feet. And, you know, you go out there with your best shot, but, you know, I mean, it's not, I can't tell you how many times the, 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 the piece of material I end up coming away with is whatever I ad-libbed on stage, which seemed way too obvious to me. But it's what the audience needed. Okay, so if it needed it tonight, it probably needs it tomorrow night, too. And eventually that point, and then eventually you realize that, well, you know, that really was sort of the essence of the thing. Why didn't you write it that way in the, in the first place? It's just, you know, but making, it's, you're making people pay to, to watch you edit something. It's pretty funny, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Suckers. Do you need to simplify political arguments so that people get on board? And if you do, does that, is that reductive? Do you know what I mean? I think of political comedians, I always think, because politics is so complicated, well, in order to say anything that, that can get a reaction, that can provoke a reaction, yeah. you necessarily need to ignore a lot, of the, a lot of the subtleties. Yeah, well, I guess if you, you know, when you're doing it right, you, you sew them in there and you allow for it, and if they go back and pull up the transcript, you go, yeah, well, see, that's implied. I mean, that really happens a lot on Twitter or whatever. You know, you you got 140 characters. And I don't go with the obvious first joke I think of as I'm reading the headline. I generally go with a joke or two down the line from that. But in there, sewn in is the implication that I, okay, I know people are saying this, but if you actually read it carefully, and that's that's some work to get that into 140 characters. But other than that, I don't know. I mean, I don't... Yeah, I don't know. I've done what I've done, Stu. You know, I'm just... Ever since that movie, I've done so many interviews that I just... I did wonder about that. There's a lot of stuff. There's a lot of stuff out there on you. I'd be happy to discuss anything so long as it doesn't pertain to me. (laughs) (laughs) I I I am completely sick of myself. I I almost... There are a couple of guests I've had recently where I almost... One of my opening questions is going to be like, what what do you what do you want to talk about? Because you have covered this, yeah. you covered the subject of your life. You covered the political I mean, stuff. I mean, from the, the political stuff. I mean, just it's like in the United States, you're only political for it pertains to elections, and the elections naturally censor all sorts of stuff. And you get the Democrats who sort of imply, well, we care about the progressive agenda, and we'll do something about it just as soon as there isn't a federal election of any sort for more than two years, <laughs> you know, because we elect the Congress every two years so you know 
they never, they're never there. They never do it, and you never talk about it. So my friend Howard Zinn said, election day, you go out and vote. Do the least amount of damage you can do. Take the three minutes it takes to vote, and then go back and hold whoever wins feet to the fire, and then work on the other issues, the issues that bring them around. And at times... You know, we actually do scare them enough. Occupy scared people. You know why they scared them? You know how they scared them? They didn't go to Washington. They went to Wall Street. They went to where the money was. They went to where the bosses are and, 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 and got them to the point where, you know, and then they eventually got, got co-opted. And there was this thing called Occupy Spring that happened next year, which was literally the Obama campaign. And they kind of siphoned everybody off and then, Obama's reelected, and the next thing you know, Holder basically destroys the right to free assembly. Now, how do we turn that into a hilarious comedy bit in a country where people are clinging to Obama as the proof of how progressive and hopeful things have gotten? You know, where you, you kind of, if you just got a scorecard, you can figure out who's playing and what, and you know, what the score is. Uh, it's talking about political. Electro politics all the time is what's expected of me, but I mean, I'm I'm just very very we weary about it because this it doesn't do much good, you know. But but you know, Occupy they changed some stuff. You know, I, I think that what happened in two uh, in two very sort of elitist political conventions this summer didn't matter. But what happened on the poorest streets of America, you know, where Black Lives Matter were at work, that mattered. And slowly but surely, you can kind of insinuate important things into the rest of the quote-unquote political uh, discourse. But I'm much happier, you know, working on behalf of, you know, saying, you know, like, you know, like the Black Lives Matter stuff or or crucial environmental stuff or whatever, or encouraging the kids who supported Bernie to not let them be dismissed and not let, not not tell them that they're going to, oh, don't worry, you'll be old and cynical and give up someday too. Maybe my generation could afford to. They can't. They're facing extinction, for Christ's sakes. You know, I mean, it's not, you know, it's not, it's not save the planet. It's preserve the habitat, and the habitat's going. You know, mineshaft canaries are extinct. I don't know if you know that. But <laughs> I got, for the record, he nodded. Yeah, like, no, I, did. I, I didn't know. <laughs> I'm sorry, you got me. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I, I just think, you know, that it's important to get on to other things and i just sort of think it just gets back to almost kindergarten stuff not to be that silly book or whatever but really just being polite and decent and kind to people as often as you can uh but then once in a while if some if something's really awful if it, i mean generally generally i'm i try not to go after the the people so much as the institutions that oppress them like the catholic church and you know, Wall Street and whatever, but uh, I don't. You know, everybody, I understand the whole world right now is holding its breath to see if we elect this fascist because Trump isn't even running for president. I mean, he's. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. He never once heard him say, "I'm going to work with Congress." To he's never said that. Mm. Prefaced the sentence with, "I'm going to work with Congress." He does like his idea of the presidency is you get to do whatever you want, whatever you want. Yeah. And that's he's running for, you know, a dictator. And plus, I mean, the ridiculousness. I mean, and what's scary about him is he is a coward. You see him fold up when he lost, you know, when he lost the debate the other night. Oh, the light was in my eyes. My, mm-hmm. my microphone didn't work. The host was mean to me, you know, like whatever. This is the same guy who went out 
and gave that ridiculous speech at that convention where he said, I will protect, he creates all fear mongers. And then he says, but you've got to, I've got to protect you. You've got to protect me. You, you, I mean, really, you haven't gone anywhere without a bodyguard in 38 years, but you're going, you're going to protect me. I'm going to hide behind your petticoats for the rest of the year. Who, and then when I see him get called in, called on something, you know, he's a cow. I mean, he got into a beef with the Pope. It was the first time he, now he's reading an occasional prepared statement. But the first time I saw him read a prepared statement was about the Pope because he was afraid, you know, like I got a little heavy there. And, you know, I mean, I think the new Pope's job is to change the subject and not the church. You know, I, I think that he sent his people that think the climate. I'm glad he's opposed to climate change, but uh, you know, he's worried about climate change. But I wish he'd change the climate of the church, which he could change by opening up the books, by by making right, you know, all the settlements that they've gotten out of paying because the financial malfeasance where they declare bank, the church is bankrupt. Right. Sell some chalices. So uh, I, I, I and, and if, if this guy, you know, really were a change agent, he would be saying, we're going to open up the books. We're going to take care of that. We're going to make right. We're truly contrite. And instead, the obfuscation goes on, but he gets to seem like he's, he's literally the guy in the white hat, you know, literally the guy in the white hat. And Trump gets into a little exchange with him because Trump is buying the white hat stuff and opposed to the white hat because he's that stupid. And and he comes out and reads this prepared statement. Now he's, you know, now he's down nuts. He's nervous, you know. And so, uh, uh, and, and this is supposedly the badass who's not afraid to say anything. Well, if I were as close to the presidency as he is, and I got into a beef with the Pope, here's what I would say to him. Well, just stay calm. If I'm elected president, you'll hear what I think about you because it will be, I will order my attorney general to instigate a federal investigation of the crime wave against children that's been committed by your church over decades and decades. And, you know, that'd be that. You know, that'd be that. Using the RICO laws, which are uh, racketeering and criminal organizations um, laws. And so, uh, you know, I find it interesting. I mean, here in England, just as we speak, because this commission hasn't done well, and some people, I, I, you know, I don't exactly know how they screwed it up. I don't know if someone was taking a dive. I don't know. But the idea that like, oh, it, it, I read something today in one of the papers and they go, well, the idea you could go back decades and decades, like as if this went back 60 years or something. It's like, uh, I think child abuse went back a little further than mm -hmm. 60 years in, in England unless, you know, Charles Dickens was full of shit. You know, I think it went back, who, by the way, was, you know the greatest uh, advocate for children has ever had so thanks for thanks for him and plus he was he didn't like the united states a lot i give him credit for that when you are exhausted by all of this do you consciously get angry about it or does that just happen like just then like five minutes ago you kind of looked ready to pack this in. I'm exhausted. I don't want to talk anymore. Yeah. And I appreciate that with regard perhaps to this podcast, yeah. with regard to being on people's podcasts, right. doing interviews, right, right, doing right, the right, promo right. thing. It's exhausting. Mm -hmm. And what picked you up then was you getting on a track of getting angry about it. Yeah. Well, yeah, adrenaline's good. I mean, for that stuff, it keeps you going. But, you know, it's like drugs, man. You know, the roller coaster goes up and down. <laughs> I'll be back in my room in a while. It's like with a test pattern in my brain going, Doo! 
It's like, uh, does that de- does that deplete you? The anger? Sometimes I, I don't know. I don't even you know. Again, you. I think you're more. I, again, I'm a see the ball, hit the ball guy. I, if I analyze it all the time, maybe I should. Maybe I should, but I don't. I just do. I, I mean, I try to have my conscience and my heart in the right places, and then trust myself from there. And I'll pay attention. And, and, and also, I mean, and how that really works is when you're on stage. I don't. You know. If I just went for the easy laughs, or if I just went, I mean, I, I, it would be a lot easier to do this because I know how to get the next laugh really easily. I know how to do that. But a lot of the time, it's like, well, I'm not going to say that, you know, even though I'm on the right side, whether that could be taken the wrong way, that could injure the wrong person or whatever. And it's so it's a little more work. It's a little more work. So you get a little more tired. And when you do interviews, it's the same. It's even sort of more pronounced because now you're on this, you know, ludicrous record. So. I don't, I, I don't really, it takes enough time to just sort of figure out what I want to try to say out there. And after I said it, I, I will pay attention if I think I said something wrong. But otherwise, it's incense, man. You know, I get tired of just trying to capture everything and put it in the word zoo, you know, after all these years. Just being with people all night. Or hey, you got to write that down. Now, you know what? I don't. I don't. That was for us. We're going to just burn that incense right at the table. <laughs> and we're not going to write that down. We're not putting that in the fucking word zoo and see ya. You know, some days are, I don't know. I mean, we're doing this in the more, oh, early afternoon. We're just like, you know, doing comedy at this time. It's like mowing your lawn at midnight. You know, so sooner or later, someone's going to lose a foot. Feels wrong. It yeah. feels wrong. Yeah. Last question then. Yes, sir. There is a line in the uh, in the documentary where you're relating the story. I think you're on stage and you're relating the story of someone saying to you, oh, you're, you're saying that you're concerned about AIDS and someone says, are you a queer? And you say, I'm whatever threatens you. Yeah. And that that's an enormously inspiring uh-huh. approach. Uh-huh. And that idea of that kind of punk ideal of yeah, yeah. I'm a threat, whatever is the norm, yeah, I'm a threat. Yeah, yeah. And that anger and that energy, mm-hmm. what, what will fulfill that? What will satisfy you in the, in the rest of your career, in the rest of your work, in the rest of your time on this earth? Is there an end point where you be able to go, no. I did it, I'm done? I'll be able to go, I did it, I'm done. I did what I did, but it wasn't done. I did as much as I could do, and at some point we begin to fail. I mean, I'm not, I can't, I'm going pretty hard now, but, you know, I'm 63 years old. I'm sick of being on the road. I'm sick of, you know, I don't care about the attention. I mean, if I, if I could do this anonymously, I would, and it's no joke. I get, I've been around this long enough. You know, I don't, a lot, I meet a lot of young comics, and I see them sort of craving what they think I have, and it's like, man, be careful what you wish for, kid. You know, you're going to be an old man limping around in and out of airports and hanging around and being sort of like trying to be cordial with a bunch of strangers all the time. And, <laughs> and, and then sort of never knowing who know. you know, you never know who knows you and who doesn't. So you have to be sort of pretend. You have to think they all know you, and then then you become nutty that way, and so on. So I don't even remember what your question is to tell you the truth. But I'm, you know, you get fried, and I've been pretty fried. But uh, but it's been a, you know, but it's been a, you know, a lot of fun being on the griddle with everybody else for a while, and and getting to 
travel around and you know but and when you mentioned punk i mean that sensibility i never realized the appeal i had to the punk folks uh right away i didn't get it you know because i'm an old like rock and roll guy but then i got to know but i mean i never i was never i instantly i i i saw punk coming because i go look we've done this somebody's they're gonna start shaving like half their head hair off and dyeing their hair weird color i said it i said that in the in the you know 73 74 that's what's gonna happen and it happened and it happened it was just like you know because i mean we had already become the freaks you know, if you think about what we took it from, how straight everybody was, and then the next thing you know, everybody's a hippie. And, what you know, I mean, there was, but, the, you know, it turns out that there's sort of a convergence between the two groups that's pretty cool. I mean, we're still resisting the same stuff. And both groups ended up with their share of hypocrites and bullshit artists, but the real people that fucking, you know, wanted to resist the crap, they they held up, and that's what whatever threatens you. That's what that's about. By the way, that's the name. Now here I here I go, Mister Fucking, you know, Mister Anti-Establishment. And by the way, that's the name of my new special coming out. <laughs> whatever threatens you, with uh, Louis C.K. that I shot in Lawrence, Kansas, which is one of the hippest towns in America. No one knows about it because it's the epicenter of the country, but they became this. They were this very hip town because. Uh, during the Civil War, they were abolitionists, or before the Civil War, they were abolitionists, and they got wiped out by these horrible Confederate raiders, the uh, Quantrill's raiders, which is what Jesse James was in and stuff, where they made a hero, and, and they were like these, you know, terrorists. And so, uh, and I use that word guardedly, being, in, you know, you know, if you see something, say something, unless it's about the burgeoning police state. But anyway, <laughs> hey, I'm starting to get a little hop on the fastball. Let's start a new hour now. Uh, my best to everybody. I love. I've met so many great comics over here, and you know, I had a great time too. It was Dublin. Yeah, where did you play in Dublin? The Sugar Club. Oh yeah, okay, yeah, I know. It. Good, good place, and uh, great people over there. And uh, you know, they got the that Eighth Amendment thing going on over there, which is interesting because in the United States, the Eighth Amendment is no cruel and unusual punishment. Yeah, so it's right. like the exact opposite in Ireland. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing like closing the British interview with a good joke about Irish politics. So my best to Tony Blair and, you know, uh, tell him uh, George W. Bush sent a nice pat on the head over for him. And, uh, and by the way, Corbin, tax and spend, huh? Uh, I, like that, I like that assault on people. Tax and spend. Yeah. How are you supposed to run a government? My opponent, taxes and spends. How the fuck do you propose to run a government? You know, you tax, you buy the road. What the fuck? That's how that works. So anyway, stay after him, Jeremy. And, uh, and uh, thank you for mentioning socialism in public in the, this century. Thanks, Perry. Thank you. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which 
is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. So that was Barry Cribbins. I'm enormously grateful uh, to Barry for talking to me. Uh, As you can hear, he was pretty depleted in energy and he'd done a show the previous night and had a show coming up that night. Uh, I think it is a testament to what a decent man he is that uh, upon meeting me and clearly initially not being up for it, uh, he didn't tell me to go fuck myself. But but instead, he uh, gave me a good hour or so of his time, gave us a good hour or so of his time. Uh, even though he would have been much happier resting. So thank you to Barry. I'm enormously grateful uh, to you for coming on the show. So remember, you can watch Call Me Lucky on Netflix, which is a documentary of Barry's life, and I cannot recommend that film enough. Uh, And you can also download Whatever Threatens You, which is Barry's new special that uh, he's just put out in conjunction with Louis C.K. So you can find that in the show notes of this show. You can find a link to that. Uh, I will be doing that immediately. So... That was Barry. Thanks for coming on the show, and uh, thanks to you for listening to it. Other other things coming up. I'm just going to do a tiny little bit of uh, of advertising. There is a redacted coming up on Thursday, the 15th of December. Now you may remember uh, these are the special non-recorded episodes uh, where I have three guests and myself and Pete Dobbing do a kind of comcomish kind of a chat show. Uh, and it was very exciting last time we did that. We did three in Edinburgh. They got better and better. If you're at the first one, honestly, they did get better and better. Uh, the second and third were excellent fun, uh, and that's going to be on the 15th of. December at the experimental late show time of 10.30pm. It's only an hour, so you will be able to get home after. It's at the New Angel Comedy Club, 39 Queen's Head Street, London, N18NQ. I'm sure you can find the Angel Comedy Club online. There's no advertising for this show, no tickets, no record, no outsiders. This is just for you. Uh, I won't be advertising it anywhere other than uh, the Facebook group and this podcast. So please come along to ComCom Redacted. I think that'll be a lot of fun. And if it isn't if there's just four or five of us we'll just have a point i want to mention the angel comedy club generally um it's a dedicated comedy venue seven nights a week there's only a few of them in london and uh, the angel is one of them you might remember i mentioned their kickstarter a few months ago uh, what they're aiming to create is a free place for stand-ups to come and work from 10 o'clock in the morning every day and a place that people can hire for cost to rehearse or to work with directors or what have you this is i mean it's an idea i had a couple of years ago did i do anything about it did i bollocks uh, barry ferns 
and Deck Munro, and I know there are other people involved, but their names elude me for the moment. Um, they are making something really special happen. So uh, please check out Angel Comedy in general, the new Angel Comedy Club, um, which is the, the dedicated venue. I believe they're also still running the Angel Comedy Club above the Camden Head in Angel uh, in, in London, but I, I may be wrong about that. Um, they've got an ethos. They, they've got a DIY ethos that is about being good, being supportive, developing and helping other people develop. Isn't it about time comedy had something formalised along those lines? We said, why don't we all help each other? I'm I'm really excited about that. So check that out. But if you do fancy coming in, if you've not been to the venue before, what better time could there be uh, than Thursday the 15th of December at 10.30pm to come and see ComCom Redacted? Uh, that should be a lot of fun and it will not be recorded in any form and it will be your only chance to see it. I've yet to book the guests, but they'll definitely be good. And when it comes to things that are definitely good, this is all new Stu Goldsmith here, come and see my tour. Tickets are on sale now for nearly all of the venues. Uh, most of the venue details are up at comedianscomedian.com forward slash tour. You will be hearing this on Monday, uh, but it is currently in the real world uh, the previous Thursday. And tomorrow, the previous Friday, I'm going to do a little Facebook uh, ComCom group video announcement and start to launch the tour. Comedianscomedian.com forward slash tour. Uh, this is the tour of Compared to What? Uh, which is my Edinburgh show just gone. Uh, it had nine four-star reviews in Edinburgh. Yes, nine. Sorry, Chortle, I round up. It's just my house style. Uh, nine four-star reviews at the Edinburgh Festival, and uh, it's an absolute banger of a show. I love doing it. I would love for you to come and see it. And I'm also going to do... I haven't quite worked this out, so forgive me if this is slightly off-topic, but uh, slightly uh, nebulous, more nebulous than usual. I think if you bring three friends, you're going to get something special. What I've got in mind is like a little golden badger with Super Goldsmith written on it, but that may prove... Uh, <laughs> prohibitively expensive I'm going to do some sort of incentivising thing maybe you could suggest that I'll put a post in the ComCom Facebook group uh, and you can suggest that would be a, something like a cool thing that people would actually wear it's not going to say Super Goldsmith it's going to be something subtle that refers to the podcast um, but only other pod fans will recognise it and then you can if two badge wearers meet each other you can smile knowingly um, so something like that I'll, I'll put a post on the Facebook uh, Com Comedians Comedian group on Facebook uh, feel free to join that if you would like to converse I always feel like saying if you'd like to chat and date with other ComCom fans I mean for God's sake don't start trying to pick each other up um, but join that and that's how we can get along with each other you can also like my uh, Facebook group for Stuart Goldsmith Comedian or possibly even Comedian Stuart Goldsmith uh, my Facebook fan page no one likes the term fan page, but let's face it, if you click like on there, then you make sure we are connected one way or another. Uh, and you can see a couple of bits of video I put up. One from the last show, An Hour, uh, which was about Jack Reacher, which I put up to uh, to coincide with, uh, with the release of the movie, which oh, God knows when I'm going to see that. But um, uh, I am looking forward to it either way. So... Join the Stuart Goldsmith uh, Facebook fan page if you'll click like on it. I don't think you can join it um, if you would like to be kept abreast of developments in my stand-up. And that is that. Thank you for your... I'm not really going to do a waffle. I'm going to say one little thing at the end, but it'll be two minutes long, I promise. Um, and thank you to everyone that's donated. A, a few more recurring payments have come in, and those are always nice to see. Um, thank you to, to everyone that has made a recurring payment or a one-off donation. I respect and admire you people greatly. Um, everyone is welcome to this show. It's free. It's for everybody. But those people who donate to the show and support the show uh, pay for the people who can't. And they are heroic and legendary in every sense. Thank you. It's, um, 
it has got to the stage now where I have a few recurring payments and they are enabling me to uh, to rely on a tiny bit of income from this show in a regular way. Sort of for the first time, I've kind of counted them and gone, oh, right, that's actually that's actually a thing now. That's a couple of gigs now. And, uh, and I appreciate that very much. So thank you to everyone who has done that. And thank you to everyone who hasn't done that but continues to enjoy the show and shares it with their friends. That concludes the podcast. There's a tiny waffle coming up, but thank you to Barry. Do buy his special in your hundreds and thousands. He's a wonderful man and an excellent comic. I'm not tearing up. I'm ill. That concludes the podcast for now. And on the final subject, the reason I'm ill, for those of you that want to listen to this bit, um, is that, well, the reason I'm ill is I get a combination. I get a, a, a painful combination every winter, every autumn, of autumnal hay fever, autumnal allergies. I believe I'm allergic to some sort of leaf mould. And I shouldn't be telling you this. If any of you are a supervillain, this is how you get me. Um, but Or, or just wait. <laughs> um, I'm al- I've got autumnal hay fever. And I also get chest infections because I've got quite pathetic lungs. And the t- I finally sat with a doctor who said, oh, no, it's both things. Whereas every other doctor's appointment had gone, it's this. No, it's that. Like I go for, you know, they'll go, oh, you've definitely got asthma. And then I go all of these asthma inhalers. And then during the spring, they go, oh, let's do a little peak flow assessment. And I blow the end off it. And they go, well, this that's ridiculous. You haven't got asthma. And so it's been back and forth and back and forth. And I finally found a nice, calm, sensible doctor who said, no, no, it's probably a bit of both. And they're working each other up. Just take this. Oh, great. And then what did I do? The day after, I came to gig in Swansea, left my bag at home with my medicine in it, and now I'm sitting in Swansea about to go to Aberystwyth uh, to perform there, and uh, and my antibiotics that I need so desperately. And once you start the course, you have to complete the course. I don't have enough of them to be fannying around taking a few and then, uh, and then not. They're bloody well at home, aren't they? And I'm in Swansea in a charming Airbnb. Um... But, uh, uh, so that's good, but explains the blocked up note. So I'm sorry for that. Um, here are the two things happening in my life right now. This is a tiny waffle. Um, I'm gearing up to, to start writing again. I've been making notes of stuff. I've been in, I'm in the note taking process for the last couple of months. And on Monday, I bloody start doing it. I start actually putting this stuff together. So that should be fun. I'm, I'm actually looking forward to it because I haven't had to sit down and do it just yet. I think it will be a lot of fun. And come on, I've got Jimmy Carr's advice clanging in my ear. You know, come on, you can think of an hour's worth of funny things. It just needs a funny thing. I think in the past, the mistake I've made is every time I've thought of a funny thing, I thought, oh, that'll be good for 15 minutes. And then it, it doesn't stretch that far. And then I've panicked. So this time... I've got, I've definitely so far got four funny ideas and I'm thinking I need 20. If there is a genuinely funny idea every three minutes in my show that I can then get loads of punchlines out of, then come on, it's going to be a piece of piss, mate. I've done this six times, I've done six good hours. Three of them, three of them have been excellent. Two of them in the early days were fine. Six hours. I can no longer lie to myself that this is impossible. I'm going to bloody enjoy the process. I have to, because now I've got a baby. I've got so little time in which to do it. You might as well fucking enjoy it, Stu. That's one thing that's in my mind. Wish me luck. The second thing is a beautiful thing that happened last night after a gig in Swansea. This will mean nothing to you unless you're a comedian. So apologies for real internal shop talking here. Someone came up to me after a gig last night and sort of waved uh, awkwardly at me from uh, from the, the side of the like the sort of the stage. <laughs> call it the stage door is to dignify it, but a door beckoned me over. I'd been hosting. I'd been emceeing the night. This is crucial. 
And this guy said to me, and I will not attempt the accent, even though I think I can do it. But this guy said to me, uh, Stu, you're, um, presumably you were, you do a set as well as emceeing, right? And that was it! That's never happened to me! I don't think it's ever happened to anyone in the history of comedy. To let non-comedians in on a bit of a secret here, the thing, the classic thing that everyone will say to you when you're the emcee of a show is, you did a really good job, you should have a go at stand-up. And for one dude once to say, I mean, obviously you're really good at stand-up, right? Would you like to do this stand-up job? Oh, my God. Thank you, anonymous Swansea man. Um, <laughs> on behalf of all comedians, thank you. And do you know what? It is, it is prescient. It is good timing that this would happen today because earlier in this week, I left a Facebook comment, which I'm not. I, I, don't have, I try not to involve myself in anything these days, but... Uh, I left a comment. Someone said, oh, isn't it frustrating when people do that classic thing of saying, oh, you should have a go, you know, you're a great MC, you should have a go at stand-up. And someone said on, on Facebook, um, I'm not going to name them because I can't remember for certain it was them, but I think they were called Rob. Um, and they're a listener called Rob. And, uh, and I, they said, why do people do that? And I commented, it's because when people MC badly, and I'm guilty of this myself years ago, when people, because I have not MC badly for years, no, I haven't done this for years, when people MC badly, they recover by saying, don't worry about me, I'm just the MC, there'll be an act on in a minute. And that screws all of us. That screws MCs down the line, because then when you do a good job, people go, oh, you should have a go at being an act. It's our fault. We're doing it. But it took the genius of a single man in Swansea to solve that issue. So there we go. That's a little gift to any comic who's ever emceed. And if you're a comic who hasn't emceed, you're one of these people who just... people Comics who don't emcee like comics who don't drive. You just, how, a, how are you alive? B, you've got no idea. <laughs> C, it's like... Like if you're an... Oh, this is a rant now. I'm sorry. If you're an opener, and I am a, a strong opener, I am a safe pair of hands to open your gig. And what do I get for my ability to open a gig? I always have to open the fucking gig. If I do any kind of telly thing, audition, competition, who's on first? Let's put Goldsmith on first. Great, but it's it's not to my benefit to go on first. You don't understand that, right? You don't understand that you are... Like, people who don't have the warmth to go on and welcome everyone and set the room up nicely never have to go on and welcome everyone and set the room up nicely. Ah. That's a pathetic thing to be angry about. Nonetheless, that'll do for now. Hey, on the subject of new writing, last thing, I'm doing a thing called Hell Week. I've not advertised it anywhere yet. You're the first people to know. It's going to be at the aforementioned Angel Comedy Club, and it's not a week because I don't have the time to do a week and we couldn't get the availability, but it's nominatively Hell Week. I think Sunday the 27th, but definitely Monday the 28th and Tuesday the 29th of November at Angel Comedy Club, I believe at half seven. I'm doing an hour and I'm going to have, it's going to be an hour that I've written in that month. So I'm going to write it possibly in a month, possibly just on the day, but it's going to be an extremely experimental, let's see what sticks kind of an hour. Because if I can make notes in September, October, and November, and then at the end of November, do one week of previews and rough out the shape of a show, then maybe I don't need to spend as much of my life worrying about writing as I do. That's the plan. Angel Comedy Club, look it up online. I'll mention it on the Facebook group. I'll mention it on the, the, the Facebook comedy fan page. I'm just going to stop saying fan page. It's just awful. 27, maybe. Definitely 28 and 29 of November. Angel Comedy Club in Islington. Uh come and see me do some it's free non-ticketed just turn up i think 7 30 
uh, it's going to be a, an extremely wonky hour. What what fun? What larks? See you then. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.